0: Well, good morning, City Light. Uh, as Eric said, my name is Dave, and I have the honor of serving as one of the elders here at, at our church as well as a city group co-leader of the Oak Ridge City Group. But today I have the privilege of wrapping up our series that we've been going through on Nehemiah. So since this is the last message from Nehemiah, you can think of me either as the closer in baseball terms or I'm just here to do cleanup, uh, which, whichever one works. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, But I love this series on on Nehemiah. Previously, I've always thought that this book um, was a great book about building a wall and then the the leadership principles that went into it. In fact, most of the sermons that I have heard over the years from Nehemiah have dealt just in those areas about how Nehemiah was a leader and motivated the people uh, to get the job done. But over the last few weeks, as we peeled back the layers of this book, I've learned a lot of new things that have strengthened my own walk with the Lord, and I hope I can do the same for you today as we come to chapter 13 and the conclusion of this book. Now, there's something about a conclusion, a good conclusion of a book, that's exciting to reach, you know. And when you are, when you are absorbed in a good book, uh. I don't know about you, but your, your reading speed tends to accelerate as you get near the end. You know, you avid readers know what I'm talking about. You, you know, sleeping begins to take the back burner just, to, just so you can finish the book. And, and I've been known to skip a section or two just to get to the end so I can find out what has happened. And I can say, I, I finished the book. Well, cl- closing the cover on, on a book can, can leave you with a range of emotions, can't it? Sometimes you finish a book and you say, man, that was a great story, amazing ending, and you leave thinking, man, I can't wait for the sequel to come out, for part two in the series, and I'm going to dive into it. Other times, conclusions can leave us disturbed or disappointed. Well, that anticipation of a conclusion has a way of building all the way along. You know, as characters are developed through the book, as the storyline unfolds, we, we turn each page wondering what will happen. We start thinking, will, will the hero overcome all odds in the end? Will the villains be brought to justice? Will, will the good guys prevail? Will the mystery be solved? Will Princess Buttercup and Wesley the farm boy ever find two love? <laughs> Dory and I, we love watching Agatha Christie Mysteries. And our favorite is the detective Hercule Perrault on BBC television. And many of these stories conclude with Perrault pulling all the characters of the story together into one room. Uh, He then demonstrates what he calls the intellect of his little gray cells as he systematically unfolds the chronology of the crime. It culminates with the mystery being solved, the murder is identified, the police make an arrest, everything is wrapped up, nice and neat, evil is put down, and justice prevails. And I wish Nehemiah ended like that. As I closed the cover on this book of the Bible, I thought to myself, man, all the work that Nehemiah went through. All the physical work, the engineering, the motivation of the people, all that coordinating of building the wall around Jerusalem, all of of that had no lasting impact. In spite of their restoration efforts, in the end, the people just didn't get it. They're still far from God's heart and far from God's desires for his people. One of the roles that I do in my day job is I, as I work with existing churches to help them revitalize or, or maybe turn the ship towards uh, church renewal. And I'll, I'll come into a church that's been struggling and, and I'll meet with the leadership to, to discuss some things that can help a church and I get to a healthy place again. And quite often, someone will mention in those meetings, you know, we just need to get some new paint in, in the sanctuary, some new carpet, some new lighting, you know, and then a brave soul that a brave soul will speak up and begin to tentatively tip over the sacred cow and possibly suggest that they should remove the dust-covered plastic flowers, you know, on the platform that have been there since 1984. At that point, I say, whoa, slow down, pilgrim. Don't, don't go too crazy. You know, all of those efforts, while, while needed and necessary, um, don't, don't do it. You know, those efforts are like putting a, a Barbie Band-Aid on a terminal disease. While important, they don't bring about restoration. They don't bring about uh, the restoration in and of themselves. And just like the city of Jerusalem or an old, old country church, many times our hearts need restoration, don't they? We, we need a change. We need a do-over. We need a reset on life. And we begin to ask our, ourselves questions. What's it going to take? You know, do I need to go out and buy the jumbo box of Barbie Band-Aids to put over the scars of my life? You know, or should I just try harder? Should I just pray more? Should I just hope for a second chance, a third chance? Should I just pray for, you know, a new day? You know, what's going to make that new, new thing come along? What's it going to take? And we left, we're left wondering, well, how do we get that Restoration? So we come to the conclusion of the book of Nehemiah and, and what's highlighted is simply the failures of the people. All the stuff that they promised not to do a few chapters earlier in chapter 10, we read now in chapter 13, they've broken every single one of them. We, we can read this and possibly come away with an attitude, well, like, if Nehemiah couldn't motivate the people to, to get their heart right, if a guy like him couldn't do it, then what's the point? You know, why even try Well, folks, it comes down to this, that restoration doesn't come from the outside. It must come from within. An outside-in process isn't going to do it. It has to start on the inside and move out. See, the failures of the restoration efforts in the book of Nehemiah find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. True restoration comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now in Nehemiah, his final push for restoring the people of God, he he confronts three areas that that he focuses on. These three areas that they had vowed never to do, never to break. And let let me summarize each because it really sets the table for where we want to go. The first centers around the temple and and the work of the priests. Now the the high priest, which was the top dog in in the, the Israelite priest hierarchy, his name was Eliashib. And Eliashib had invited and allowed a guy named Tobiah to literally move into the temple area to take up residence in the temple. And Tobiah was an enemy of God and an enemy of the people and a foreigner. And this had huge significance because when Tobiah moved in, all of the supplies and ministry needs, all all the things needed to do worship in the temple were moved out. And with the supplies gone, the ministry in the temple stopped the work of the priesthood ceased. So the priests, now that, now that they don't have a job to do, they're not being provided for, uh, they go back to their farm fields so they can simply make a living. You know, in, in modern terms, we could say that the temple had gone through a restructuring and the priests were laid off. So they do like what anybody else would do, they go down to Hy-Vee and Walmart and apply for a job j- just to make a living to provide for their family. So Nehemiah here calls him out on that. In verse 11, he says, I confronted the officials. Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them to their station. Then after each restoration effort that Nehemiah does in chapter 13, he pauses and he says a prayer, asking God to remember. So after restoring the priesthood, he prays in verse 14, Remember me, O my God, concerning this. and Do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. So he works to restore the priesthood. The second thing he focuses on is, is the keeping of the Sabbath. The people were violating the Sabbath by working and allowing selling and trading and business to go on. Uh, on that day, a day that was designated, set aside with the intent of rest and worship. And Sabbath, by its very nature, uh, was an act of worship, recognizing that God was in control of time, that God was in control of our resources, that he is the one that provides. But here, in the close of Nehemiah, we see the people just hustling, working, trading, buying and selling, trying to make their own living. So again, he confronts them confronts the people. In verse 17 he says, I confronted the nobles of Judah and I said to them, what is this evil thing you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? And again he pauses and prays after this second area of restoration and he says, remember this also in my favor, O my God. Spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. The third area that he focuses on to restore, um, he focuses on the idolatry of in their lives, had been ushered in when the Israelites began to intermarry with the foreign nations around them. As Pastor Eric pointed out a couple of weeks ago, this wasn't a racism issue. It was about, about their relationship with God being compromised. It wasn't about color, but it was about the spiritual commitment. They had compromised their belief in the Lord. They'd compromised their understanding that there is only one God. And they had out, begun to, they started to drift towards other pagan beliefs. So again, Nehemiah being the leader he was, he confronted the people. And he says in verse 25, I confronted them saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? See, Nehemiah is saying that this intermarrying is really an open invitation. They are inviting other gods, other beliefs into their lives, into their very homes, into the fabric of their families. And then Nehemiah, the book concludes with uh, Nehemiah kind of giving a summary statement of what he's been working on, and he wraps it up with one more prayer. Verse 30 again says, Thus I cleanse them from everything foreign. I established the duties of the priests and the Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. That's the culmination of Nehemiah's efforts of the book. Now, notice that he doesn't talk about building the wall, the wall isn't mentioned at all in chapter 13. He doesn't look back at the engineering marvel that they accomplished in 52 days. He doesn't he doesn't talk about how he motivated all the people to do the work. At, here at the end of the book, all we see is the people of God are back in the grip of idolatry with their hearts removed from their God. Now there's no doubt that Nehemiah was a great leader. I mean, only an outstanding leader could motivate a wide range of people with a wide range of skills and abilities and talents to complete an engineering project of building a wall in 52 days. Only only a leader like Nehemiah could do that. There's no doubt that Nehemiah was also a hard worker. And he, he ran after the restoration of his people. There's no doubt that Nehemiah was passionate for God because he repeatedly confronted sin. However... Even with these incredible efforts, the people still messed up. Do you ever feel like your best efforts just don't get get you to where you want to be? You know, in about five or six weeks, many of you are going to resolve to be a better person in 2020. You know, it's that time of year where you start thinking, yeah, next year, man, I'm going I'm to lose. I'm going to lose that weight. I, I'm going to work on being a better parent. I, I'm going to work on uh, having a better, stronger marriage. You know, you, you're going to you're going to Commit to read through the Bible cover to cover in this new year. You're going to join the Y and make exercise a regular part of your lifestyle. You know All these commitments, all these vows, all these resolutions and goals are made only to find that many of them are going to be broken, forgotten, ignored a short time later. I've been there. I've done the same thing myself. I've made those promises to read all of the Bible in one year only, to get bogged down in the length and laws of Leviticus, to be numbed by the math of numbers, you know, to lose track of which king is which in the book of Kings, and to lose all sense of biblical chronology in the book of Chronicles. You know, it, it becomes confusing. Just this past Wednesday, uh, Dory found, found this book laying around our house, uh, The Songs of Jesus, A Year of Daily Devotions in the Psalms. She's like, oh, this looks like a good, good book. I, I might read it for this coming year. And she opened it up and she sees that, that it was mine, you know. And I bought this in 2018 with the intent of it being my daily devotional read for, for 2019. Well, then my, my wife and all of her uh, love pointed out that the bookmark made it to January 29th. <laughs> and there it sat, you know. I started out 29 days strong, so... You know, I'm optimistic, I look at the positive side, and I just think, now I got my devotional book for 2020, you know? (laughs) So, I I, I get it, I've been there. You know, on, on the other hand, you might be the kind of guy that meets all the goals. You might be the girl that checks all the, you know, you get the action plans down, You check the boxes, you've worked the plan, you've planned the work, you've read it all, you've exercised regularly, you've shed the 15 pounds from from your waist, and you've installed and put up the she shed in the backyard, you know? You've done it all. One more project done, one more goal reached, yet a greater sense of purpose, a greater sense of calling in life remains just ever elusive. You know, not too long ago, I got tired of looking at a crack in the drywall in our living room. It was this header that divides our, our living room from our kitchen, and I was, you know, just got frustrated with it. So I'm not the handiest of guys. Carpentry is not my strong suit. So I went to my go-to source for all things, you know, home repair and automotive repair, and I looked up Mr. YouTube, and I started watching videos on how to re- repair uh, drywall. I watched the videos, I studied it, and I, and I, got, it, I got it down. You know, I, I scraped, the, scraped the crack clean, I, I put the, the mesh stuff on it, I mudded it, I sanded it, it looked smooth, I painted it. It looked great. It looked wonderful. And I was like, yes! And then, but by the end of the summer, crack had returned. And I was like, ugh! You know, we live in about a 70-year-old house, and I think our whole house is starting to shift and settle. So what I, what I realized is that a little mud and tape is not going to fix a flaw at the foundational level. And like Nehemiah, you know, we as City Light leaders, we can do a lot of surface level mudding and taping and repairing and painting. And as our church gathers on Sunday mornings, we can preach and teach and we can exhort and encourage and just beg and plead you to follow Jesus and stick true to the word. But if it only comes from up here on the platform, I guarantee you that you personally, for you personally, it will fail. And each week our, our church family scatters out into city groups and we dive again into scripture and we have deep discussions about what that means for our life. But if it only remains surface level talk, that too will fail. If it's only outside in approach, it's not going to last. And that really stood out to me in these last two verses of Nehemiah. Because notice the emphasis of how, what Nehemiah says here in these very remaining last two verses. He said, I cleansed. I established. I provided. Remember me, oh my God. T- Tyler Mass pointed out to me this week that the word I is used something like 23 times in chapter 13. And here in these last few verses, you really see it emphasized. It's all about Nehemiah's efforts. So we can stand up here week after week and say, "Lord, I cleanse, I establish, I provided." Remember me. But if that's all we do, then our effort is for nothing. You know, or or put it in terms of today's ministry work, we could say, "I preached, I planned." I provided pastoral care. I went to the latest hipster conference on church growth. I even went so far as to buy a flannel shirt and skinny jeans. But it doesn't work. And if I could, I'd grow a beard like Eric Wiggum, you know, But that's not going to do it. Sorry, Eric. But what we can do, what we can do and what I hope to do every time that I preach or teach is to point you to Jesus, the only one that can truly bring change in your life. That's what I love about city life. We preach Jesus on Sundays and we talk about Jesus in our city groups during the week. Why? Because it is in Him and through Him that the Holy Spirit can bring about inner transformation in our lives that the Heavenly Father desires us to have. Become more and more like His Son. So all those restoration efforts that Nehemiah was trying to focus on to restore the people they really all find ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. Think about it this way, Nehemiah worked to restore the priesthood, that, that system of sacrifice and work to keep people connected to God. But Jesus comes as our high priest. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast for our confession. But the New Testament takes it even further. It reminds us of how the new, new covenant that Jesus brings is so much better than the old because in the New Testament it tells us that you, that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation a people belonging to God so that we can declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into light. Then Nehemiah, he worked to restore the Sabbath rest for the people, to to get them to understand that God is the one who provides. But yet it is Jesus who ultimately brings us into rest. Because he himself said in Matthew 11, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. And Nehemiah worked to restore the people of God. To keep them faithful to the one true God. But it is Jesus and Jesus alone that restores our humanity and makes us whole. In 2 Corinthians 5 it tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past and behold the newest come. You know, Nehemiah, he was a great leader who was passionate for his people. His passion drove him to the point where he could point out their inconsistencies in their lives. He was bold enough to say, you're talking one way, but you're living another. And his passion led him to confront the sins of the Israelites. Yet his efforts could not wipe out the sins of the people. So today, let me point you to the one who has. Jesus confronted sin one time, once and for all. He confronted it, faced it head on, permanently dealt with it, one time, because that's all it took, and he did so by shedding his blood on the cross, for our sins. You know, Nehemiah emphasized his efforts at the close of the book. when he said, "I cleanse, I established, I provided. Well, let me highlight the work of another, because Jesus is the one who cleanses us. He cleanses us from sin, His blood wipes us clean. Jesus established himself as high priest, as king of kings, as lord of lords, as ruler over all, and he established a new covenant that would last for eternity. And Jesus is the one who provides forgiveness for our sins by overcoming sin, overcoming death itself when he rose from the grave. You know, Nehemiah closed with a prayer that says, remember me. Today, I close and ask that you remember Jesus. Don't remember me, remember the one that I'm pointing towards today. Don't remember the forgotten, dust-covered devotional book, but remember the one who is devoted to you. Don't remember your successful Bible reading plan, but remember the one the Bible points to. Don't remember your failures to follow through, but remember the one who followed through for you. Don't remember your broken promises or sinful shortcomings, but remember the one who paid the price for your sin. Folks, as I worked on the sermon and and I saw how the text just takes us from the failure of the people to ultimate fulfillment in in Jesus, you know, that's not just great, you know, preacher wordsmithing. You know, it's real life stuff. And I got to realize that, you know, this is life changing things that we're talking about today. Remembering Jesus is not just an intellectual activity, it's not just some good words that's coming from the platform today. Remembering Jesus looks like taking an honest look at your life. Admitting your failures and asking Jesus to be your fulfillment. Life with Jesus isn't just about a bunch of resets and redos and resolutions. No, life with Jesus is finding a once and for all, now and forever, forgiveness for your sin. That's what we need. That's what it's all all about. Now, if you've never known this kind of fulfillment, man, today's the day. You know, I, I want to I wanna end this morning by just challenging you to turn to Jesus. Trust in Him. Follow Him. Commit your life to Jesus. And if God is stirring in your hearts today, man, there's going to be people in the back uh, during our closing that would love to pray with you pray for you, to talk through what it looks like to remember Jesus and have Jesus be the fulfillment of your life. So talk to them and come to Jesus today. Pray with me. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you that he is the one that took the initiative and in coming to us. And Lord, I pray for each person in this room today that we can respond with a resounding yes, Lord, to you. Father, may we remember your sacrifice, but may that, may that memory drive us to action in surrendering our life to you. Father, you make this possible through your son Jesus. You make life totally fulfilled through, uh, you make that possible through Jesus as well. So Lord, we pray in his name. Amen.